Hello and welcome to Equipping the Saints. I'm Ryan, and thank you for joining us today. I wanted to take a break from these more current event topics and focus on something that's more core and foundational in our faith. I believe that something that the world struggles with is the idea of Christ being fully man and fully God. And so I'm going to take the time today to show you where in the Bible it says this and how we can compare what John has said throughout his gospel account as well as his later epistles, how they actually complement each other when you put them side by side. They create one complete thought, if you will. So I want to spend some time doing that today. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to be looking in three particular places today. We're going to be looking in 1 John chapter 1. Then we're going to look at parts of John chapter 1, the Gospel of John. And then we will go into John chapter 15 to, so we can get the, the full picture of what's going on here. We know from tradition as well as authorship that both 1 John and the Gospel of John are written by the same man. John was a very common name at that time, but this is indeed the Apostle John. We know that this was later in his life that he wrote his biblical accounts. We're going to be talking about the Incarnate Word. okay? And the Incarnate Word is simply just a fancy way of saying the Word became flesh, which we see in John chapter 1. So let's start off by reading 1 John chapter 1, and let's just read the first four verses right now. The Word says, What was from the beginning, what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we have looked at and touched with our hands concerning the word of life. And the life was manifested, and we have seen and testify and proclaim to you the eternal life, which was from the Father and was manifested to us. What we have seen and heard we proclaim to you also, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. These things we write so that our joy may be made complete. Now, I said to you at the beginning that 1 John chapter 1 completely complements the prologue of John chapter 1. And let me show you how. So hold your spot where you are in 1 John and flip over to John chapter 1. We're going to read a few verses in here to see if this lines up appropriately. So for John chapter 1, beginning in verse 1, says this, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. So we're not seeing that the Word is a thing. It is a person, right? Then we go down to verse 9. There was the true light, which, coming into the world, enlightens every man. So this word that we are seeing here is in verse 14. John chapter 1, verse 14 says this, And the word became flesh 
and dwelt among us. And we saw his glory, glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. So that word there, the word became flesh, is also translated the incarnate word. And the literal Greek is the word in flesh, right? It is the word becoming flesh. And this is the central focal point of the prologues here, both in John and 1 John. Now, remember what he said here in verse 1 of 1 John. He says, what was in the beginning, what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we have looked at and touched with our hands, concerning the word of life. This is the same person. He's talking about the same person here, Jesus Christ. But not only that, but John is using sensory confirmation that Jesus was really fully man and yet fully God. Because look what he says here. What we have heard, right? What we have seen with our eyes. What we have looked at. What we have touched with our hands. He was real. He was tangible. He was fully man and fully God. There are some religions out there, as well as some worldviews, that claim that Jesus was not a man. It, well, you see both sides, actually. You see, he was either just a man, or he was not human, right? He took the appearance of a man, but he was really a spirit. You know, there's, so you get both sides, but you don't ever see, except in true Christianity, that he was both fully man, and yet at the same time fully God, which is a, a remarkable paradox in itself. But it is a beautiful thing to explore and to dive into because this is one of the greatest mysteries in the universe. Now, John is making the statement here as well in verse 3 of his gospel that this incarnate word, this word became flesh, is the source of all life. And that's a big statement that he created everything. John chapter 1, verse 3 says, All things came into being through him, and apart from him nothing came into being that has come into being. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. So John's affirmation isn't from tradition or doctrine, but simply from experience. He got to experience and spend time with the Lord Jesus in the flesh. And through his life, and through his manifestation of miracles, and through the words that he spoke, and through everything he did, he confirmed that he was the Christ. And John believed him. 1 John chapter 1, verse 2. And the life was manifested, and we have seen and testify and proclaim to you the eternal life. So this eternal life that Jesus had been offering throughout the entire time and John was with him, he has seen it. He testifies. He is claiming that he witnessed this. And he is speaking out and proclaiming it, that this is the eternal life. This Jesus Christ is the one who is the way, truth, and life. And what else does it say? Which was from the Father. Obviously, he is from God, right? And 
was manifested to us. He was a physical presence. So you see, John and 1 John are relating to themselves completely here. Now, what does that mean for us? Besides that our eternal destination is secure through Christ Jesus, knowing that he is the creator of all life, he is the sustainer of all life, and he is the grantor of eternal life. But beyond that, what else does this do for us? Believing and embracing the word stimulates fellowship in Christian community. It should be creating fellowship in us as a body of believers, not only as a universal church, meaning the Christianity as a whole throughout the world, but in your own church. The idea that the Word is made flesh and that He is still among us. In, he is at the right hand of the Father and He is alive to always intercede and work for our good. That should give us hope and that should give us joy and we should be sharing that with the people that also believe. And that stimulates fellowship. Now, what does that word fellowship mean? The Greek word for fellowship is koinonia, which the literal translation of that word is to have something in common. So when you put it like that, doesn't matter how if you're young or if you're old, it doesn't matter if you're a male or a female, doesn't matter what kind of life you've had, doesn't matter what your job is, doesn't matter your life experience, your education, none of that matters. And you could be completely different from these people in your church. But despite your differences, which our differences are to be celebrated and they are necessary, and it's mentioned in the Bible that we are to be members of each other, meaning that we are to be parts of a collective whole, right? But we all have one thing in common. We have Jesus Christ, our Lord, in common. We have the Holy Spirit within us in common. And that is the glue that binds us together. And we need to understand that when we need to act upon it. 1 John chapter 1, verse 3 says, What we have seen and heard we proclaim to you also. Why? So that you too may have fellowship with us. So he's saying all this, what he has seen, what he has heard, so that we can fellowship with them, so that we can be on the same page. We can have a complete, full understanding, equal understanding of who Jesus Christ is, what he has done for us, what he is continuing to do for us, and where we fit in in all this. And that fellowship is not only just with us, but like it says at the second half of this verse, and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. So John, being the apostle, was one of the first believers, right? And he's already been established in God. So his fellowship with Christ is solid. And he is inviting us to have that same fellowship with Christ that he has. And so we have to believe what we are seeing and what we are hearing and proclaiming from John. But not only that, but there should be some evidence in your own life of God's miraculous work and the resurrecting power 
of your souls that he did to transform you into a new creature. We have our own unique experiences we can bring to the table, but we all share the one thing in common. We have salvation from the Lord. We are new. We have the Holy Spirit, and that should bring us together. Fellowship with Christ adds depth and unity to our shared walk as believers. We are not meant to be alone. We are meant to be in communion with each other, in community, right? And so, just like Jesus proclaimed in John chapter 15, that he wants us to abide in him, we should be abiding with each other. John chapter 15, verses 9 and 10, says this, Just as the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. Do you see how that works? What does it mean to abide? To abide means to stay, to remain with someone or something, to act in accordance with someone or something. So Jesus is commanding us to fellowship together in obedience in order to complete our joy. 1 John chapter 1, verse 4 says that, These things we write so that our joy may be made complete. John chapter 15, verse 11, going back, says, These things I have spoken to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be made full. So, Jesus said this first, and John, many years later, wrote his letter, 1 John, right? So, he remembered those words of Jesus, and he applied it to his own life. And that is a beautiful concept that we should be having with ourselves, is the things of Christ that we should apply to ourselves. And that's what he's commanding us to do in his word. Because here's the reality. Fellowship without Christ at the center of everything, is impossible. Fellowship with each other and fellowship with God. We cannot have either of those things without Christ at the center. John chapter 15, verse 5, says this, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Nothing. We can't do anything apart from Christ. Not only that, but fellowship without love breaks Christ's commandment. So, sure, we have Christ in the center of everything, but if we don't have love, we are being disobedient to God's command. Because he said this in John chapter 15, verse 12. This is my commandment, that you love one another just as I have loved you. Verse 14, You are my friends if you do what I command you. And this, he says it again in verse 17, This I command you, that you love one another. You see how that works? So, God is love. He is the source of all life. He is the light in our lives. He is using that light to draw us together in him so that we can fellowship 
together with him. Not only because is it right to do so by the conviction of the Holy Spirit, but because Christ has commanded us to. That is a direct order from our commanding officer, from the general of the universe. He's given us a command to love each other. Not only love your neighbor as yourself, but as a body of believers to love one another, just as he has loved us. And what is that word love in the Greek? Agape, right? That supernatural love, that sacrificial, unconditional love. We should definitely implement that into our lives. And really, I think that's part of the reason why, over the years, that the church as a whole has grown soft and has grown cold. Not only within itself, but also as a global influence. It has kind of retreated into itself and become some sort of a club of some kind or some sort of members-only group. But that's not the way it's designed to be. We are to speak boldly of these things. Now, we are called not only to be a church, right? But we are also called to be evangelists. So if you ever get the thought or you've ever heard that evangelism is only for some, that is incorrect. Why? The Lord Jesus himself said, go and make disciples of all nations. The Great Commission, right? He didn't just say, you few people do it. That command goes to every believer. We are all commanded to be evangelists. Not everyone is meant to be a pastor. That is not the ultimate goal either. There seems to be that misconception in church today that somehow pastors are a step closer to God or something like that, but that's not true. That is their purpose in this brotherhood, but that doesn't make them any greater than us. Not everyone is meant to be a Bible teacher or a scholar, and that's fine. But everyone is supposed to be an evangelist. Now, what does that mean, to be an evangelist? It means that we are called to share the good news and the bad news. Okay, I know that, that may not be what you hear all the time, but hear me out. We are called to do what? Make disciples, right? In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, right? That's through the gospel, the gospel of Jesus Christ. The word gospel is good news in Greek. That's what that word means. It is good news. Jesus Christ is nothing but good news because he is the only way to heaven. He is the only way to be forgiven. He is the only way to have a fellowship with God. He has made the way available to us. But there is bad news, right? What if you don't accept it? You know, this is a gift, right? That is what the good news is. That's what you're doing when you are evangelizing. You are offering the gift of eternal life to someone. You are offering as a gift Jesus Christ. But people have the right to refuse gifts. And more often than not, they will refuse it. If you have ever done any personal evangelism on your own, share the gospel with somebody, you will know. 
that majority of the people you speak to about it will not accept your offer. Some of them will even mock you for it or insult you for it or profane the name of Christ in your presence. But we are called to evangelize, sharing the good news and the bad news. What is the bad news? That for all those who do not accept Christ, there is a place of eternal punishment, a real place called hell, where you will burn for all eternity in separation from God. There will be a day soon where we will all be judged for everything good and bad that we have done on this earth. And we will have to stand before a holy God and advocate for ourselves if we're unsaved or have the perfect advocate to the Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, who will defend us from the judgment. There are only two ways, and that means there's good news and there's bad news, right? So not only is that actively evangelism, but there's also lifestyle evangelism. How we conduct ourselves, how our work ethic is, how we do not participate in the things of this world that are sin or will lead to sin, not tolerating dirty jokes or gossip or people using the Lord's name in vain in your presence. Those things are all lifestyle evangelism. And there will be a point where if you are diligent in this, that somebody will come up to you one day and say, you're different. Why don't you ever do these things? Why do you walk away when we start telling dirty jokes? Why are you so nice? And that's where we step in, and the Holy Spirit will take over and will offer the gospel in his power. Because we have no power to save, obviously. It's the Holy Spirit within us. But those are the opportunities that we are looking for. Remember, this is training camp. This is why I helped create this podcast and why we need to understand that this is a war. This is a wartime effort. We are in the middle of a battlefield. The entire planet is a battlefield, a spiritual war. And we need to get through enemy lines. And how do we get through enemy lines? By penetrating their defenses. And how do we penetrate their defenses? Through godliness, through evangelism, through speaking boldly in the faith. And when we penetrate enemy lines, we may just rescue souls from the camp of evil, from the clutches of Satan. And again, we do this with confidence because the Lord has already won the battle for us. It's already been declared in Revelation. So if we know that there is nothing to lose and everything to gain, isn't that enough motivation? So I challenge you. Remember who our commanding officer is, our leading general who marches in the front lines and shows us the way, our Lord Jesus Christ. He was a historical and a physical human being, but he was also God. He is the Word, the Word of God, and he is what brings us together as a united force. Love 
is at the center of our fellowship as Christians, the tune that we march to when we go out into battle. So we should not be silent about Jesus in our speech. And in my personal life, what I've been trying to actively do is substitute God for anything and put in Jesus. Why? Because there's a lot of people who have their understanding of what God is. And there's a lot of people who use the name God. We don't worship the same gods. Some gods are ourselves. Some are idols. Some are demonic. Some are just imaginary. There is only one true God. And even though there is, there is one name under heaven that is above all names, as declared in the Bible, and that is Jesus Christ. People don't usually argue with you when you say the name of God, but you will see a dramatic difference when you start using the name of Jesus actively in your speech. People will change their demeanor towards you, either positive or negative, because that is the name that saves. So I challenge you, instead of saying, God bless you, say, Jesus bless you. May the Lord be with you today. May Jesus be with you today. May the power of Christ be with you. See if that does something for you. And if it does do something positive for you, please send me an email or leave me a note so I can rejoice with you. Do you see now that discipleship, making disciples of all nations, mentoring others in your own church, being mentored in your church, Christian discipleship must be experiential. You have to get in the battle yourself. You cannot be on the sidelines. That is not what we're called to do. We are called to be bold in our faith. A Christ-centered worship puts meaning and value into the worship itself and into your life. It gives meaning to your life. And what is the meaning of your life? Is it for yourself? Or is it for the glory of God? I hope your answer is for it's for the glory of God. Only you know that. But there's also somebody else who knows that too. The one that we choose to listen to or that we choose to ignore. But nonetheless, regardless of whether we choose to accept or reject him, God is there, he knows all, and he sees you in your heart. The the part of you that you don't want to show anybody else. He knows you, and he knows your heart. So I invite you to join us in this battle. Do not be silent, especially if you see the world around us lately has becoming more and more bold and active and overtly evil. This is not the time to shrink in cowardice. This is not the time to play pacifist. This is the time to take things seriously, because if we believe that Jesus is coming soon, that should give us a sense of urgency in the way we handle these things. Because there are billions of people in this world that are going to burn for all eternity if we don't do anything. They cannot accept Christ unless they hear about him. They cannot accept Christ unless somebody shares Christ with them. It is up to them and up to God's timing and his election if they're going to believe, right? But that's not our problem. We haven't even done the first step 
stepping outside of our doors and thinking about somebody other than ourselves. And crying and mourning and feeling guilt for the people out there that don't know Christ and they're actively rejecting him. They need to hear the good news and the bad news. Our job is not to win the souls. God is plenty capable of taking care of himself. But we should be honored that he has invited us into his efforts. He has structured in such a way that we are part of his evangelism. He doesn't have to invite us into this. He doesn't need us. But he is asking us to be with him and commanding us to be obedient. That is such an honor, so glorious of a calling. Why would we turn that down unless we love ourselves more than the Lord? So I challenge you, put some meaning and value into your life today. Center your life and your worship around Christ. I hope you enjoyed today's message. I hope this is a good way to wrap up the week. And I really hope that you enjoy, if you are in America, please enjoy your 4th of July. Enjoy the freedom and independence that we have. There are so many evil forces in the world right now that are trying to take away that freedom. The demonic forces are actively trying to destroy all the good things that are in this country. All the God-based principles that this country was founded on are trying to destroy them all. So embrace Christ in these times and embrace your freedom. And with that freedom, we are responsible to use that freedom and speak freely about Jesus. Again, thank you for listening. My name is Ryan, and I look forward to speaking to you next time. Have a great weekend, and God bless you.